Ew, gotta get rid of this old Backstreet Boys t-shirt. Tell me why. Because it stinks, boys. Tell me why. I've washed it so many times, but the odor won't come out. Tell me why. No, you tell me why I can't get rid of this odor. Have you tried Downy Rinse and Refresh? It doesn't just cover up odors. It helps remove them. Wow, it worked, guys. Yeah. Downy Rinse and Refresh removes more odor in one wash than the leading value detergent in three washes. Find it wherever you buy laundry products. Tonight, what's the plan? And by the way, I, it's my birthday today, and they can actually sign birthday. Say it ain't so. Why the White House wishes their boss would stop talking about his age. There's no alarm happening behind the scenes. We've come a long way from Maryland and JFK. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday. Incontrovertible proof, Israel shows the world video of Hamas tunnels under Gaza's largest hospitals. The IDF's ability to continue its operation in Gaza and the credibility of Israel are at stake here. Why the American media just won't believe it. Jeff Bezos's hidden power exposed. Yes, the $167 billion buys yachts and space rockets. We'll show you how he uses the Washington Post to work over the working class. The same folks outraged over Elon Musk. He's out there endorsing uh, some pretty hideous uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Rationalize anti-Semitism on American college campuses. Bill O'Reilly joins us on Two Americas. And Sniper, a new world record the length of the National Mall, a war story you have to see to believe. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, happy birthday, Mr. President. He pardoned the Thanksgiving turkeys. He'll head off to Nantucket for the holiday soon. Not a bad birthday, but one the White House kind of wishes you would forget about. His approval rating now sits at the lowest number of his presidency in the NBC News poll. 40% now approve of how the president is doing his job. And the age issue is a big part of that. And so was the war in Israel. His approval rating among 18 to 34-year-olds plummeted from 46% to 31% between September and November. We can trace that to his support of Israel. As we told you on Friday in our War Notes newsletter, President Biden's problem isn't the recent poll numbers that show him losing to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or Nikki Haley. His problem is he appears to have no opportunity for a win. And when you see what is happening, there doesn't appear to be a plan at the White House to turn those numbers around. Think of all of the things he could wish for on his birthday that would sure up the base. He could secure the release of all the hostages in Israel. Doesn't look like it's happening. Israel could agree to stop bombing Gaza. Not gonna happen. Inflation somehow falls and prices actually fall. And somehow people feel better about the economy. Unlikely. Courts allow the latest student loan repayments to be upheld and continue. Unlikely. There's a work authorization for illegal immigrants, some big deal in Congress. Republicans see absolutely 
no upside in that. Ukraine peace deal also seems unlikely. And the cultural wars aren't going away either. Today, the White House marked Transgender Remembrance Day. We should note the same suburban swing voters who didn't like mean tweets in 2020 and voted for Mr. Biden are perhaps now more scared of carjackings than they are interested in supporting trans rights. Chris Steyerwald is here, News Nation political editor. Fair analysis, Mr. Steyerwald? Well, uh, I'll what, take that as a no, but uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, what lost the election for Donald Trump in 2020 was his handling of COVID. Uh, when you get right down to it, people are fine with Donald Trump being a jerk. Uh, or if they're not fine with it, they can live with it if the economy's good, things are good. And COVID did end Donald Trump's uh, chances for a second term. What's killing Biden right now, the thing that's, that's dragging his numbers down, and you alluded to it, are a, a loss of support with younger voters. Those voters may very much care about trans rights. They may very much care about these other things. They're mad at Joe Biden. I have never seen a poll that showed it this starkly in such a short period of time where a president has lost so much support in his own party on a foreign policy question so fast. And it's, I think it's Israel more than anything that's driving this down for Biden. All right. So... President Biden's probably done the only thing he can do on the age issue, which for older voters seems to also be an issue, which is make light of it. Take a listen. I just want you to know it's difficult turning 60. This is the 76th anniversary of this event. And I want you to know I wasn't there in the first one. I was too young to make it up. (laughs) Does that work if... There may be, shall we say, a different version of what the American people look at as their president. So Joe Biden's problem, hands down, more than anything else, is that he is too old to run for a second term. Americans overwhelmingly believe that he is not up to this job. And it's not just Republicans. It's not just independents. It's Democrats, too. And there's really nothing he can do about it. I've, I've seen a lot of analysis from a lot of Democrats that say, well, he needs to joke more about it. or he need, I saw one that said he should be like a leading man in his 80s, like uh, Harrison Ford or, or Clinton. Eastwood. No, everybody ages differently and everybody seems different at different ages. Uh, a lot of people don't know I'm actually 24 years old. This is just the, the, <laughs> this is just how I look. You wear it well, <laughs> this, is just how, yeah. this is just how I look. Uh, no, but for Joe Biden, he's a very old 81. He seems like a very old 81 and it's in his gait and it's in all that stuff. And it's not going away. That's, that's not going to go away. You alluded to this uh, over the history of Joe Biden's political career, he is he has tried to have it both ways on a lot of issues and appeal to both the progressive base and also moderate Democrats and swing voters. He was able to do it during 2020. Whether he'll do it during 2021, 2024 is a different issue. Nightmare scenario for the White House is an attack by these Iranian militias on one of the U.S. bases in the Middle East, where Americans die. We're now up to 64 attacks on U.S. forces, uh, 30 separate times in Iraq, 34 separate times in Syria. Uh, you can see the map there. So far, the White House keeps saying the president uh, is going to support and defend U.S. troops no matter what. It seems to be that they're waiting for an American to die before there's a real response. How big of a potential liability is this? 
Well, uh, I don't know what the liabilities are from the United States from a national security standpoint, but I know that from a political standpoint, there's no tolerance in the American electorate or no significant tolerance in the American electorate for the loss of American lives at the hands of Iranian-backed militias or what, whatever group they may be. And Biden, would it would be imposed on him by popular will that there would be a swift and stern response. And then, of course, you get into exactly what nobody wants, which is a widening conflict and the United States being drawn deeper in. And as much as Americans uh, jealously guard the dignity of the country and jealously guard the idea of the, the uh, Americans being safe abroad, uh, they also do yeah. not want a broader conflict in the Middle East. And that's what Biden's trying to skate between. I'll give you the last 20 seconds on this. You think about the inflection point, the death cross of President Biden's favorability in poll numbers. It came with Afghanistan and the disastrous withdrawal there. If there is an attack and American service members are killed overseas, how much of it is not going to be a problem looking forward? How much of a problem is it going to be people looking backwards and saying he could have prevented this? I think when, given Biden's relatively high ratings on Israel when it comes to Republicans, uh, and I know that's a, a, a hard number, but when I think Republicans and independents generally see Biden here as being more hawkish, being tougher, and doing those things, I think that that has has healed some of, uh, some of the, the bitter memories about Afghanistan withdrawal. Fair enough. Mr. Trywell, if we happy don't talk before, happy Thanksgiving yeah, to indeed, you, indeed, yours, indeed, indeed. Thank you. Uh, as we mentioned War Notes in our conversation, we invite you to sign up for War Notes. Best part, it's free. Gives you a look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Go to readwarnotes.com and subscribe. It's where Steyerwalt gets some of his best jokes. <laughs> the notes started as an internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's how we put the show together with our executive producer and team. You get to be a part of it. You can respond with your thoughts. Join us on social media anytime at Leland Vittard, Instagram and Twitter. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. You might have missed this over the weekend if you were doing other things than watching cable news, but the left clutched their pearls because of Elon Musk. He commented on an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Elon Musk, a man of the highest echelons of our society, would not just say something like that, but actually believe it. <laughs> it's a reminder that anti-Semitism is dangerous and enduring even at the very highest levels of American society. His saying that this blatantly anti-Semitic comment was, quote, the actual truth is sickening. It's interesting he says nothing could be further from the truth because the thing he said in response to the anti-Semitic theory was that it's the, quote, actual, actual truth. Said. And a growing list of American companies responded. NBC, Universal, Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, Discovery, Apple, IBM, all paused their advertising on X, which is Twitter, because Elon Musk responded to a user who accused Jewish people of hating white people and show, showing indifference to anti-Semitism with, quote, you have said the actual truth. It's weird, it's wrong, it's sort of unclear what he meant, and we can all agree that it's bad, any form of hatred is bad. But responding in the way he did to that tweet, I think we can also all agree, fair-minded people could agree, it's a little different than, say, chanting for the destruction of the state of Israel or killing Jews. And that was, of course, in American streets, but it was also on America's college campuses. 
At best, it was anti-Semitic. In reality, that was calling for the murder of millions of people. And remember those companies that pulled their advertising, Disney and NBC? Well, their coverage of campus protests and the pro-Palestine rallies were a little different. Opposing rallies at Columbia, a die-in at Harvard. The latest protests are part of a long tradition of free speech on campus. Between rain showers Friday on the campus of Rutgers University in New Jersey, members of the local chapter of the Students for Justice in Palestine staged the latest in a series of demonstrations. Bill O'Reilly, anchor of the No Spin News, is here. Bill, at some point, should we stop just pointing out the hypocrisy and just live with it? Well, I don't bother with it on my broadcast because it's obvious, and if you uh, evaluate it, you know it's obvious, but a lot of people believe what they want to believe. I don't live in this uh, ex-Musk, Twitter, TikTok world, so maybe you can explain it to me. Uh, I thought that most Jewish people are white, right? And yeah, they don't I didn't, like whites now. Or, uh, I, I, I didn't. What is that? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't understand it. I didn't. I didn't get what Elon Musk was saying. Yeah, I mean, I um, don't know what what it is. Yeah, I. It, I, so I, I, Musk, I don't either. Yeah, I, wait. Let me just so ask Musk you. Then you he replies. Yeah, this is my question though. Does it? It seems like there is among the left in America, and by that I mean the media, and certainly by left-leaning politicians. Um, there's a, like, you know, we had Trump derangement syndrome that we now sort of have a minor version of Musk derangement syndrome, and I can't quite figure out what that comes from. Oh, come on, Leland, you know where it comes from. The previous owners of Twitter censored conservative speech all day long. Musk bought it and said that stops, hooked up with Tucker Carlson, and now the left is going to kill him. And so they're assassins, uh, I'm figuratively speaking now, uh, at Media Matters, are stalking everything he does to try to get sponsors to pull out, which they did. And Media Matters is a hate group. It's attacked me for 27 years, almost every day. It is dangerous. It is well-funded by George Soros and these far-left fanatics. I hope that Elon Musk sues their butt off because I'd love to see in deposition who exactly besides Soros is pumping money into that organization. You know, I turned against Hillary Clinton because I was giving her a fair healing when I heard she was buddies with the Media Matters crew. That was it, because I do hold people accountable for whom they associate with. OK, and once I said, because I lived this. I lived Media Matters. So what Musk should do are two things. Number one, explain what the deuce he did or X'd or tweeted, whatever it is. What is that? And number two, bring them into federal court and sue them. And even if you don't win, so what? You're a billionaire, okay? Break them because they are a hate group. Media Matters is a hate group, in my humble opinion. All right. Well, it's interesting you say sue them. Uh, Musk tweeted the split second 
Court opens on Monday. X-Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack against our company stand with X and protect free speech. You make a good point about the free speech thing. Um, but court opened on Monday. Uh, court is now closed on Monday. And he hasn't sued. And I'm... <laughs> right. I, yeah. I, I know. And I don't... Look, I, don't, I met him once, Elon Musk. I met him once at a Hollywood party of all places. I spoke with him for maybe 30 seconds. I don't know who he is, really. I don't know who runs his operation. I don't know who his advisors are. But if you're gonna say you're gonna sue, then you should yeah. do it. And, but more importantly, I would like an explanation because I don't wanna have a guy this powerful, all right, Elon Musk, you know, being anti-Semitic, I don't think he is, but let's have a little explanation, yeah. right? Yeah, no, a little explanation. I'm going to give you the last 30 seconds. To me, you said somebody this powerful. And I think it's important to point out why somebody who runs Twitter, uh, now X, is that powerful. It's not so much that Twitter's real life, but it's that the people who all used to love Twitter, which is the journalists and politicians and sort of the, the left-leaning culture of America, they view it as real life, and they don't like somebody else controlling it. Well, you can get your message out. On BillOReilly.com, I tweet all the time. Yeah. I use X all the time to get, this is what we have coming up. This is what we have in the Bill O'Reilly Christmas store that might make your life easier. I use that. It's a tremendous vehicle, all right? Um, but I don't know the internal workings of the Musk organization. But I, I'm giving him advice now, Lily. You should go on your program tomorrow night, explain all of this, and you would have a big audience listening yeah, yeah, to that. Musk is a, he's a powerful guy. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's an extraordinarily powerful guy. Somebody else extraordinarily powerful, Jeff Bezos. We're going to tackle him in the Washington Post a little later in the show. Bill, it's always good to see you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. Good. All right. Coming up next, new video showing just how good Iranian militias are. Jake. Is the White House being honest about what we're up against? And why new research shows that all the ads about kids having depression and anxiety might be creating kids who have depression and anxiety. Shocking, I know, but we'll follow the money. New video is showing Iranian-backed rebels flying in a helicopter onto a ship, uh, and you can see they're taking the ship over. It's Grand Theft Auto Terrorist Edition. Um, maybe more like something out of a uh, movie like Captain Phillips, but this is real life, and these are not the good guys coming to rescue. Uh, these are Iranian Houthi rebels. And if you look at their tactics, how they move, helicopter insertion, and it wasn't any ship, right? It's a ship reportedly owned by Israel. It shows you the level of training, sophistication uh, that the Iranians have and are teaching their groups around the Middle East. And we look at the larger map uh, here of the Middle East in terms of what the Iranians have influence over. Uh, obviously, there's Iran. Iraq, where the militias have attacked U.S. troops. Syria, where their militias have attacked U.S. troops. Uh, now we're up to 60 attacks. Obviously, also the Red Sea, uh, where the Houthi rebels attacked one ship. Right here, uh, just here, where Yemen uh, and Djibouti meet. This is about 20% of the world's commerce. It's where it goes all the way up through the Suez Canal. The Iranians have the ability to shut that down. And right now, we are in the most dangerous part of the war for the Israelis. There's all this talk 
about a hostage deal. The Israelis are doing everything they can to delay and stall. Why? Because they have Hamas on the run. They're starting to be able to take care of Hamas's tunnel system, otherwise known as the Gaza Metro. And specifically, they want to be able to deal with the tunnels and Hamas before a ceasefire and Hamas has a chance to reconstitute and rearm. Uh, we're going to get to Al Shifa Hospital, where one of those major tunnel networks is, in a second. But we want to just show you how large these tunnel networks are. This is video from the Israelis. You can see they explode one bomb, and the entire tunnel system then blows up. These are all secondary explosions, and you can see the exits to the tunnel where the other explosions come out of. Every one of these areas is a place that terrorists can move, Hamas members can move, and then pop out of the buildings. We're going to bring in Brigadier General Bob Spaulding, former of the National Security Council, before that flew B-2 bombers. General, it is good to be with you. Just from the Israeli standpoint here, strategically, uh, they want every hour they can, right, before a ceasefire. Absolutely, and I think uh, we ought to give it to them and we ought to support them in that effort because if they don't clear out Hamas, you know, they're going to be facing this threat in, in continuance. Uh, and you see what Iran is doing. is They're seeding the entire region with their resources and their training. And they're, quite frankly, supported by China. Unfortunately, they're also supported by funding that we've been giving them. So we need to give the Israelis time. But more importantly, we need to stop supporting Iran with funding, either through China or the United States. What do you make of the video of the Houthi rebels landing? I mean, it's not SEAL Team 6, let's be honest, trying to, to take over a ship. But as I watch, and I mean, I'm not exactly uh, a, a trained observer, but I'm an observer. These tactics actually don't look all that terrible. Well, I mean, <clears throat> look, they are uh, landing in a ship out in the middle of the ocean. I don't think that's um, that's not the easiest thing to do. That being said, um, you have a lot of yachts out there where people are landing on yachts. So uh, you can find the skills, you can find the people to do these things. I think the, the more important thing is how much money was spent to be able to do this. If they have access to resources, meaning money, then they can carry out attacks like this. And rather than you know focus on cutting off the funding to Iran to support this, we're giving them more money. And then, of course, as I yeah. said, we're partnering with China. Just had Xi Jinping come to San Francisco, you know, a bunch of handshakes, but he's giving them money, too. So this is a big problem for us. Well, there's money, then there's also expertise. We, we've talked a lot about the tunnel system, right? So this is Gaza. The Israelis sort of have this area uh, under control. They have this area under control. Uh, we'll draw that here in a second, just in blue, so people sort of get an idea of where the Israelis uh, have operational control uh, over Gaza, here, here, and here. Al-Shifa Hospital has been the big thing that we've been talking about. The Israelis now have released video. Uh, it, it's pretty wild what they, what they have going down into one of the tunnel systems, but you can see it's a some kind of drone it looks like going down into the tunnels. You talk about money and expertise. You don't learn how to do this uh, and build these kinds of things in high school. As you're watching this video, I'm just wondering, sort of take us through as you're seeing what the Israelis are going to face as they're trying to clear out the tunnel system. Well, I mean, first of all, the engineering that goes into ensuring these things don't collapse is quite extensive. And so I would want to know, you know, where is that engineering expertise coming from? Again, the funding 
for all the cement and uh, and other stuff that goes in there to structurally keep that thing going up. But more importantly, you know, from a just from a clearing the tunnels perspective, this is this is you know bad, hard, you know, tough work. And you know, I, I like the idea that you showed early of taking the tunnel out using explosives because then you can collapse it from within. So, but you know, going down there trying to get out hostages is probably one of the things that they're trying to do, and that's not easy work. Yeah, no, we will show the the explosions that you were talking about one more time, which is sometimes it's from coming from the air. Other times, I think they're putting charges into some of the tunnel openings. Uh, but as you as you watch this, it shows the extensive nature of the network. It, uh, the flip side of that is, if there's hostages uh, underground there, they die with the terrorists. Absolutely, and that's why you know I think they're re- trying to rely. You just showed drone video. They're trying to rely on intelligence to tell them where uh, the the hostages are. So I would imagine if they're detonating uh, weapons inside tunnels, they've already cleared that area. Got it. All right. Uh, General, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Uh, So far, no deal, uh, no pause uh, in return for hostages. It's now about 2 a.m., so we don't expect any word until at least tomorrow morning. We appreciate it, sir. Turns out constant talk of supporting kids having mental health problems turns everyday life activities into mental health crises for young kids. Take a look at this from the Health Resources and Services Administration in a four-year span. Children between 3 and 17 say their anxiety went up roughly 30%. 60% of them are now medicated. That same time and for that same age bracket, there's a 27% increase in depression. 80% of them are medicated. All that medication costs a lot of money. For all of 2021, nearly 1 in 10 of all kids were taking routine medication. New York Times just published a piece. This is not the way to help depressed teenagers. Quote, teenagers who are still developing their identities are especially prone to take psychological labels to heart. Instead of I'm nervous about X, a teenager might say I can't do X because I have anxiety. A reaffirming that research shows undermines resilience by encouraging young people to do view everyday challenges as insurmountable. Joining us now, Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst, marriage and family therapist it's good to see you thank you very much um take me through what you make of this study well actually um, i'm dr daniel bober yeah Uh, i'm I'm realizing when i saw you that i I think the teleprompter was wrong uh daniel bober correct sir yes yes dr daniel all right there we go uh forgive us what do you make of the uh what do you make of the study Well, I do agree uh, that I think we do rely heavily on medication. And if you look at the way we treat mental illness, for example, in other countries, they focus on more things like resilience, uh, forming healthy attachments, gratitude. And so I do think that medication, I always say skills before pills. So I think that's really the way uh, we should be looking at as medication as a last resort rather than the first thing we reach towards. Are we, you think about all the, the sort of discussion on Instagram and TikTok, all the ads, all the sort of embracing of kids and embracing that you're brave enough to come out. And look, there's kids who have real issues and we don't want to minimize that. But is there kids on the bubble who by always talking about mental illness and suddenly having a mental illness gets you medication and gets you out of tests and gets you to have more time to do this and it explains away your behavior... Um, is that enabling and creating kids who 
it's a lot easier to say, I, I don't want to take the test or I can't take the test rather than dealing with your own fears of taking the test. Well, I agree. I mean, I think this is in many ways a uniquely American phenomenon. We're always reaching for drugs, whether we, we need drugs to concentrate, uh, to be better sexually, to lose weight. We're always looking for a quick fix and we're not really doing the work. And I think we need to be teaching our kids to actually do the work, to work on themselves, to develop problem solving and coping skills. That's what we should be focusing on uh, for the next generation. Why aren't we? Well, I think that in this country, we are largely driven by corporations, and there are some in the pharmaceutical industry that feel that if you create the disease, the drug will follow. So we teach people that there's always a pill and you can do it quicker, and I think the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance industry would rather give someone a medication than actually have a child, for example, sit there with a therapist and do the work and use skills which are much more enduring than pills. Uh practicing psychiatrist for 15 years, board certified psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, diplomat American Board of Addiction Medicine. Uh, Are we addicting kids to pills, though? I think about ADHD medication specifically and some of the other stuff uh, that, yeah, it, it may make you feel better, but then it is a lifetime of taking it, is it not? Well, I would say dependence more than addiction. If I prescribe you a blood pressure medication, you are dependent on it. I need to wean you off. Addiction is compulsive use despite negative consequences. So in a way, I do think we've made people dependent on pills and they find the easy way out and rather doing the work on themselves, which I think is true, not just in kids, but in adults I see every day. You know, people would rather take a pill than do the work. Yeah, I think about some of the research now showing that high, you know, high intensity exercises is as effective as some low dose antidepressants for folks. That's um, right, exercise is one of the best antidepressants there is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Hey, look, um, you're, you're great to come on and talk about this and be able to, to, to call things as they are, because I know it's popular in, in your industry especially to, to not do that. Um, we appreciate the honesty, doctor. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Everybody loves to talk about Jeff Bezos' yachts, his new fiance, those rocket ships, not to mention his $167 billion. His real power lies somewhere else. We'll expose it next. When younger, attractive women like Lauren Sanchez marry older, rich guys, there's a reason. When rich people continue to lose money, there's a reason as well. Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, will lose a projected $100 million a year, every year, on the Washington Post. He doesn't care. All the yachts and rocket ship rides won't buy you influence in Washington. The Washington Post, though, is Bezos' most valuable asset, but it's one nobody ever talks about. Bezos now isn't just rich. He's powerful in the nation's capital. He controls what the nation's capital reads. Of course, Vogue wants to take pictures of him and his new fiance. And you don't have to look far to see Bezos's worldview. It's not about being rich and being talked about. Just look at the Washington Post and what he influences. From the editorial page, opinion, a new nuclear arms race is here. How to slow it down. In other words, America should slow a nuclear arms race in the worldview of Mr. Bezos, not win it or his view on Israel's war with Hamas. In one article, at least 11,100 Palestinians have been killed in the territory since October 7th. That is the Washington Post directly quoting a terrorist organization which calls civilians killed martyrs to be celebrated and absolutely no questioning by the Washington Post of Hamas's numbers or disclaimer. 
Yet the same article treats Israel's claims of Hamas using hospitals as, quote, a claim for which Israel has yet to provide significant evidence. We showed you the evidence earlier in the show, like videos of the tunnels. And it's not a one-off thing from the Washington Post's Twitter account. Terror organizations are now experts in war crimes. Here's the Washington Post tweet. The forced evacuation of al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza by Israeli forces Saturday morning, as well as its use and destruction by the Israeli Defense Forces, constitute war crimes and crimes against humanity, a senior Hamas representative said. That's right. Jeff Bezos' company cites Hamas as a credible source on war crimes. No, we didn't make the headline up. It's real. Joining me now, author of the new book, Control Agarks, Seamus Bruner, uh, is with us. I don't know, Seamus, are we right to say that this is an extension, the Washington Post is an extension of Elon Musk's worldview? Not, you're, you're absolutely right, Leland. And uh, everybody kind of knows Jeff Bezos as this quiet, you know, when he's not flexing on the pages of Vogue, this quiet, you know, he's thought to be this libertarian type, but we followed the money and we showed that he is spending it on all of these left-wing priorities. And so the pages of the Washington Post speak true for Jeff Bezos's worldview. And he has every opportunity to turn things around at the Washington Post, but he doesn't. And so he's not really this libertarian. He's really a left-wing, left-winger. Yeah, I think about sort of all the things you can purchase. And look, you know, Musk purchased Twitter because he wants to have a, a hand in the conversation. We did that earlier. I'm wondering almost if Jeff Bezos's move of buying the Washington Post, which is what every senator and member of the House of Representatives reads every day. They read it at the White House. Uh, if ever, if at any point the U.S. government or a senator gets the bright idea of investigating Amazon and what it's doing to small businesses, uh, Bezos doesn't even have to threaten or donate. He just has the Washington Post. It's the ultimate the ultimate power, really, right? That's right. And it's also uh, the, you know, the favored place for the uh, deep state operatives inside of whether it's the Justice Department or the Pentagon to release their leaks. And so that's not a, that's not a coincidence. I mean, Amazon, you know, has these massive con- uh, contracts with the Pentagon and other, uh, you know, intelligence agency types hosting on Amazon cloud services. I mean, $10, $10 billion Jedi cloud service contracts. Uh, there's major contracts. And so having hmm. the main reading magazine or, you know, periodical, you know, rag of the deep state certainly helps with that. Yeah, well, you, the money goes both ways always, right? The money, the, the money. And I think I think about it, you know, Elon Musk paid, you know, $40 billion for Twitter. Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos paid $250 million for the Washington Post. He spends $100 million a year. It's pocket change, really, uh, to be able to have this level of influence in Washington. Um, is there anything for I even, I, I mean, I don't even know who it would be to do something about it. Well, certainly. I mean, you got to you got to spread the facts. I mean, another thing he spends a ton of money on is this ten billion dollar Bezos Earth Fund that is ostensibly saving the planet. It's an ambitious goal. But then you go and look at Jeff Bezos's personal investments and it's things like the uh, alternative proteins, a.k.a. fake meats. And so like these climate change projects really I mean, he's got the electric vehicles with his Rivian investment. 
these climate change type investments benefit mm. from government policy. And so when the government goes to ban gas vehicles like Gavin Newsom in California has announced uh, coming for you know the year 2030 and uh, other climate change type policies, you got to look at who's holding the investments that benefit. And Jeff Bezos is a big investor like that. Yeah, and then who's writing the articles about the government policy and investigating the government policy? Look, exactly. it, from a bit from a business perspective, it's smart, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you're going to get these ten billion dollar contracts just because you invest a hundred million dollars a year in the Washington Post to make sure you're never investigated. Seamus, keep following the money. We'll have you back. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you, Leland. Yeah, thank you. Coming up next, the one thing Americans of every sex, age, and color can agree on at the Thanksgiving table. We all agree on it. Let's see if Chris Cuomo agrees when we come back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or 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 Britney's tour. She's down in it's kind of warm in Brazil right now. That's President Biden confusing a lot of things, among them Britney Spears and Taylor Swift, and he might want to call Taylor and apologize. Democrats, especially female Democrats, absolutely love Taylor Swift. Chris is here. Have we found one person in America, Taylor Swift, who is not controversial? We can, we can safely discuss Taylor Swift at Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, you certainly can at my house, although uh, the 13-year-old is still sore that I didn't get tickets uh, for uh. her to go to uh, the show in, in Chicago. Um, but, you know, maybe she'll forget, although probably not now, because I think she's watching this. Mm. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I think, I feel like Taylor Swift is transcending, right? I mean, you, you know, you had Elvis, you had the Beatles, uh, there, you, had, you have these, these acts and these names, the Rolling Stones, that suddenly take on a superpower in the world. And you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I know you, you told me no, but... I'm I'm feeling like she is going to play a big role in the 2024 election somehow, some way. Oh, no, no. If I said you were wrong, I apologize. Um, I don't I don't know whether she will. I hope for her sake uh, she doesn't, because if she is the one thing that will certainly create the pendular effect that we know in the medium all too well about swinging from positive to negative is if she gets too overtly political beyond participation or issues that are very close to home for her as a young woman or whatever matters most to her. Um, Politics will kill you when it comes to being popular. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a good point. What do you got on the show tonight? The always popular Chris Cuomo show. Well, the lead is that Britney Spears is Taylor Swift, and therefore it is fine to confuse the two. No, I'm kidding. Look at, look at Leland taking me seriously. <laughs> well done. So I'm making a case was, up at the yeah. top. Up, <laughs> I'm making a case up at the top of the show about gas prices and how Biden's biggest opponents are probably the pump and the grocery store. But we never talk about why. It's just another cudgel in our politics. Everything's mm. too expensive. 
Well, why? We're, we're, you don't fix it if you don't get to why, but nobody wants to discuss why. They just want to use the problem for advantage. So we're doing that. Then we're bringing in, uh, we're going to, to Israel because, look, OPEC is going to determine the gas prices mm-hmm. for the rest of this year and into next year in their next vote. Their biggest concern is the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, we've got the Israeli head of the IDF spokes, uh, spokesperson, Kornikas, coming on to talk about the state of play there. We're going to look at the West right. Bank, which may well be the next front yep. in this war. And then I have a very controversial topic. I have a guy writing a book about Scientology, and I want to talk to him about a policy within that faith called the fair game policy. Which is an edict that allows the people in Scientology. Chris, you're giving, to go Chris, you're giving the whole show away. Chris, you're giving the whole show away. Well, you Remember asked. the rule. One topic. One topic. One topic. Thanks. You're giving the whole show away. That's supposed to be a tease to get people to watch. There you go. And Chris Cuomo's mug will be there. Three Chris Cuomos. Him and two faces on his mug. Turning now to the war in Ukraine, evidently one of the many topics that is not on Chris's show. One of the few topics. He's got a lot of topics. NATO now says the Ukrainians have taken back more than half of the territory seized by Ukraine. Interesting. Perhaps NATO is thinking about, well, maybe negotiating a peace. We'll deal with that tomorrow. But you probably haven't heard about this. You're looking at what was reportedly the longest sniper shot ever fired. A Ukrainian sniper allegedly killed a Russian soldier 2.36 miles away. The previous longest shot, 2.2 miles, was fired by a Canadian special operations sniper in Iraq in 2017. The weapon used was called a Lord of the Horizon gun, a 50 caliber bullet that took just 10 seconds to travel 2.36 miles. Nicholas Irving, former sniper in the U.S. Army's 3rd Ranger Battalion, 33 kills on a single deployment to Afghanistan joins us now. You think this is real or just more propaganda from the Ukrainians? Um, initially, I, 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 I believe and I still am kind of skeptical about, um, you know, how credible this information is. Although looking at some of the uh, the the specs on the rifle, there's, there's not too much about it. But um, it being a 50 cal, they're saying that the uh, projectile goes subsonic right under 3000 meters which if that were the case, it would be, and by the looks of it, I'm just not too, I honestly am not too sure about that. Um, But according to their specs, it goes subsonic at just under 3,000 meters, which would make it uh, uh, a somewhat plausible shot, but the conditions would have to be more than perfect to uh, to pull that off. And it's no bigger than, it's similar to like a 50 cal. We saw a picture of the weapon, right? It looks, you know, Far more than just you know an average rifle that we would we would think about being being carrying. Um, how long does it take to go 11,614 feet? A 737, uh, 15 seconds. A car, a minute and 53 seconds. An athlete running at 15 miles an hour, eight minutes and 47 seconds. You said it did this in just 10 seconds, which subsonic 792 miles, which is just right on the borderline. You know, for a war that's so high tech, what I can't believe is that this is still about a man and a rifle. Exactly. Um, I think war has progressed uh, far beyond the uh, way we've used to, uh, I guess, encountered fighting wars, which is, you know, having boots on the ground. We have so much technology. We're investing so much money now um, into the the war that it's kind of, uh, um, I don't know, it, 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 it defeats the whole purpose to have all that that finance and still have boots on the ground when you have artillery, airstrikes, drones, uh, missiles, things of that nature. Yeah, fascinating. 
Um, Nicholas, thank you. We appreciate it. Really interesting conversation. Um, and you're right. You know, somebody, in, the, in these case situations, you just don't know. Um, and yeah, it's no great idea. to have an expert like you to, to talk about it. Thank you. Uh, the tweet that we were talking about from the U.S. mission to NATO was fascinating that came out today. A possible major change in U.S. policy on Ukraine. We're going to tackle that tomorrow. Is this where President Biden is going to get his win? Chris is next.